Saturday Down South. On this episode, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, joins me. We're going to talk about Florida's two losses to close 2022. Uh, one at the Jumpman Invitational to Oklahoma, second on the road at number 20, Auburn. Um, both reasonably close games, both second half losses for the Gators after quality first halves. Uh, Florida loses both those games after leading at the break in each. We will break them down. We'll also preview Florida's victory. Or <laughs> I hope so. We'll preview Florida's uh, home opener against Texas A&M. Um, Happy New Year to all our listeners. Thank you all for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, it's been a while. Uh, Hope you had a Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Man, it's good to see you. It's good to hear uh, from you. And um, yeah, Happy New Year, buddy. Yes, to you as well. And and, uh, to those who are listening to this, we're we're sorry we had to take a little bit of a a break there. But yeah, holiday season was definitely busy for us, as I'm sure it was for everyone listening. Uh, But there's definitely people who are uh, probably in transit to various places to see family or trying to get away from their family or something like that, who were hoping for an episode. We did not get them one. Um, so we're, we apologize for that, but uh, now we've just got a whole bunch to, uh, to talk about. So a couple, couple of games here to, to get to. So, uh, let's get going. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, starting with the game in Charlotte, Jumpman Invitational. Um, I was there, uh, wonderful event. I, you know, rarely will send out a tweet about just a, a fan experience, but really pretty marvelous. Um, everything from, you know, stuff nike stuff that they haven't actually released yet in in their like uh fan store to um just the chance to sort of create your own Jumpman t-shirt or sweater mm-hmm. um they had like those old school printing presses like i thought they were going to run them through like some machine and uh, it was like they're stamping the decal on and like that was super fun and then i mean just a who's who of celebrities both nights uh which is pretty fun um you know uh, his airness was not around for Florida and Oklahoma. Uh, he did make an appearance for uh, Michigan, North Carolina, as you might expect, and brought the house down, as you might expect. Um, but it was kind of cool. I mean, we had Kenyon Weeks, who was a sharpshooter from Florida. Um, Chandler Parsons, Carmelo Anthony, just doing whatever he was doing. I don't know if he has some sort of tie to Oklahoma that I don't know about, but um, my man Mello was was in the building. Um, so just, you know, a lot of fun from uh, from that perspective, uh, Eric. And so a great event and a really good first half for Florida, honestly. Yeah, I'll also say it looked great on, on television. So when you texted me and said that it was going, going you know, really well when you were there, it's, it's good to see events like that, uh, that I think we were pretty excited for, that also showcase a partnership that I think is extremely beneficial to the Gators to be a Jordan school. Uh, it's cool to have an event like this um, that uh, uh, is, is is pretty exciting, though uh, it's it's one of those things that I wonder maybe last year looking at okay Oklahoma year two under Porter Moser, um, Florida where Florida you know is as a as a program they probably thought oh this is going to be a bit of a marquee game but uh, like you said maybe not the one that's going to draw 
his airness to come uh come watch Grant Sherfield take on you know the Gators. But uh uh like you mentioned, the Gators come out with a pretty good start and kind of for the first time this season, unless I'm missing something, we get to see a bit of a collapse. Like, I mean, as much as we've had um games where the Gators have not played particularly well, it's been kind of an issue where they kind of just fall behind by a small margin and uh kind of hang on to that small deficit for the whole game or get, you know, blown out as we've seen a couple of times. Uh, I think this is the first time we've kind of seen the Gators put together a good stretch of really good basketball um, only to kind of uh, let it slide. So I, I think people know that uh, longtime listeners will, will know that I'm about as big of a Porter Moser fan as there is um, outside of Oklahoma or maybe even in Oklahoma slash Loyola Chicago. I'm as big a fan as there is. So um, while you could point to, Hey, maybe this, uh, this coach for uh, the Sooners was able to, uh, make some adjustments and, and really went out. Uh, what did you think that kind of went wrong for the Gators after, after a pretty good start? Yeah. I mean, so it was, to me, it was like two things. I don't think Florida really got the right defensive matchups. And I don't know how much of this being there live, um, was about, you know, something Florida was doing necessarily or something Porter Moser was doing rather schematically or whether it was just, the way Florida has decided to play defense this year, which I'm not going to get too critical of that uh, for many reasons I'm sure we'll get into, but they weren't getting the right matchups defensively on, on Grant Sherfield. He's playing really, really well um, all season. And I don't think Florida was in favorable spots the way that they defended him. So like, that would be like the one bugaboo I had in terms of like, Oklahoma getting buckets, but for me, it was all offense, almost, you know, mostly offense. Um, and, and what's frustrating about it, I think for a lot of people is that Florida did a really nice job of, of taking care of the ball. Like a lot of this was not self-inflicted in terms of like turnovers or things like that, Eric, it was, um, another Yukon type situation. Uh, and that's why I mentioned kind of off air and we'll get into Auburn, but it was, a lot different than the Auburn game because Florida wasn't getting good shots. Um, there were a lot of bad force shots and a lot of them didn't go in. I mean, Florida did not make a three pointer uh, in the second half. They went two of 22 uh, from downtown. And I thought way too often settled um, for big shots. And they did it in a way that was even more disappointing considering that like Tanner Groves had three fouls for, a majority of the second half. Um, I mean, I just didn't understand what Florida was trying to do offensively. I don't know about you. Yeah, it's the, I, I would say that um, Porter Moser has always been, again, this is allow my fanboy to come out, but he, he's always been very selective about like, depending on what side of the floor that the basketball's on, depending on what kind of action, they kind of switch between being an like a deny team and, and a pack line team. Um, yep. People will remember when Illinois Chicago came into Gainesville and, dismantled the Gators it was because they went like pure pack line um but I wouldn't I wouldn't say necessarily they're kind of a pure pack line team but against the Gators the way that they guarded the continuity ball screen it was just like man they the Gators had nowhere to go coming off these side ball screens um it was they were getting forced into the action so their rejection wasn't there and then they did see kind of a wall of bodies um with of course the pack line and I will say that while normally the trade-off with, of course, sitting in the gaps is that you're going to give up threes, it just seemed like when someone's coming off an empty side ball screen and three players on the opposite side of the floor defensively are sitting with a foot in the paint, it's pretty uh, 
like the reads are pretty obvious. So guys could really sit in the gap, get loaded up and really be ready to close out. So I am with you. I did not think the Gators got very good shot quality. And I think that uh, that's, you know, when people are just like, Oh, well, like how are the Gators supposed to win if they can't shoot? It's like, it's one of those situations where, yeah, I, I didn't think they got great shots. I thought Will Richard took a couple that I liked and, ones that I think he's, you know, has shown he can make. I thought yep. Trey Bonham took a couple that he has shown he can make, but still overall, like, you know, for a lot of, a lot of the shots. Um, yeah. I, I didn't think, didn't think they were, they were very good. And I, I think one, one indication of, of how they couldn't get in the paint was that, and this is, this is a Neil Blackman thing I'm about to say, cause you're usually on the ball of these things more than I am, but it did catch my eye. The Gators essentially had two players go to the free throw line. It was Colin Castleton and it was Trey Bonham. Uh, none of Florida's wings were went to the free throw line. And not that that's like the only way of gauging, were you getting downhill drives, but in a game where it just seemed like no one could get downhill, no one could get in the paint against this team to then look at the free throw, um, the, the free throw kind of mark for the, for the Gators. It was like, you know, Jason Jobo did shoot two free th- or field or free throws. But other than that, it was Concaston and Trey Bonham. So to see, no one able to get to the free throw line, none of their athletes on the wings. That's probably a li- you know, somewhat of an indication they were not able to get into the paint. And I thought that was kind of the situation was, uh, which is man, that's uh that's how you lose basketball games. If you one cannot get in the paint and two can create quality jump shots. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And, and that was, and again, I thought they had a couple Oklahoma had a couple guys that did get into some foul trouble and Florida didn't do much to sort of exploit uh, that problem on the offensive end. And and then Florida's defense just kept them in the game. I mean, Florida got a lot of stops uh, repeatedly where they had chances, even once they fell behind, which was, I think, in the high 40s. Uh, at some point, Oklahoma overtook them. Um, and then Florida was chasing the game from there on. I thought one of – you mentioned Will Richard, and that was a good shout. I thought, you know, the best offensive possession that Florida had in the second half was down three, 54 to 51. And it came off dribble drive penetration and a kick to Will Richard and a shot that I think he makes, you know, seven out of 10 times, probably uh, wide open catches and shoots, which is what I want him to do. I don't want him to do this thing that he's occasionally done lately, which is where he'll, uh, and I think it's a technique thing, honestly, Eric, he seems to sometimes catch without his feet set. Um or with his feet uneven, and then he'll like take a bounce to get his feet set. Um, and that's probably something he could do at Belmont, but there's not enough time to do that in the power six. And, um, but this wasn't that incident. And, you know, he, I mean, it really, he hit back iron on that, on that three that would have tied the game. And, you know, maybe if Florida ties it there, who knows what happens? Because again, I mean, the Gators were getting a lot of stops. I thought Colin Castleton had one of his better defensive games that he's had in quite some time um, after really getting bullied by Tanner Gross in Norman. I thought, you know, he was much better uh, in that matchup uh, in Charlotte, but uh, you know, ultimately not enough when Florida, just as you mentioned and alluded to Florida got so little from uh, its wings play. And then, you know, just another game where we saw sort of the, a frustrated Kyle Lofton, I thought. Yeah, and that's uh, that's been an interesting kind of situation for sure, where where we're looking at um, some of these games where uh, the competition's kind of ramped up a little bit, and uh, you know we'll get to Auburn where Kyle Lofton was able to put up some points, but 
you know, against, against Oklahoma, he was again, largely frustrated. And again, it's someone who uh, I think we've seen his, like, again, I'm, I'm not trying to, not trying to bring things, things down anymore, but it's like, you know, he's struggling from inside. He's struggling to score in the paint. That's something that has been the case throughout his career. He's struggling to hit three point shots. That's something that's been the, the case throughout his career. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where to see just like the, him put in a situation where he's, he's forcing up these attempts or, or he's the one who kind of even uh, with 14 seconds on the shot clock um, still feels like kind of a contested into contact floater um, is, is a shot that's good for the team. That that's just something that I guess I would personally disagree with. And I, I feel like he's taking shots that he's struggled with his entire career. And um, yeah, again, that's just that. So that would just be one of those things where I, I don't know if he's, if that's like a freedom thing from the coaching staff or, or, or what it is, but talking about shot quality that we're not big fans of, I would say Kyle, Kyle Lofton um, is, is taking a lot. And I think that you're kind of seeing, the proof in the pudding a little bit with, with just these, these shooting numbers. But uh, I think a lot of our concern, even from when Kyle often um, committed to the Gators was like the, the big knock on him was, was athleticism. Uh, I mean, it was athleticism, athleticism and shooting, which to some people would say, Oh, shooting's an issue for a point guard. That's problematic. Oh, athleticism's an issue. That's a problem for an sec point guard. Um, And you know, the, the Gators definitely looked at that and, and saw saw that and still thought, Hey, look at this crazy experience. He's got crazy leadership abilities. Um, we think he's going to figure it out. Um, I will say early returns. Um, there, there, there is some, some concern on these things. Yeah. It's just like if, if someone were to ask me, Hey, I see he's struggling to finish in the paint. Um, why should I think that it's going to get better? I would have a little bit of a problem arguing that in good faith, knowing that he has struggled his whole career to, to finish in the paint. If someone said, Hey, he's struggling to shoot threes. Um, why is he going to shoot? better the rest of the season. I would struggle to argue that in good faith because he has not shot the three well in, you know, in the season. So I, 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 it's, it's, again, it's just one of those things where I think teams that are really well coached when, when Florida is running these side ball screens in the continuity ball screen offense, um, Kyle Lofton's getting what, you know, we called earlier in the podcast, the Andrew Nemhard defense where teams like, you know, I remember TCU doing it and Florida state, those good Florida state teams that would get Andrew Nemhard coming off these ball screens and they would just dare him to finish in the mid range and, and pull up for a, you know, pull up jump shot from the mid range. And it was a good way of defending, defending him. And uh, I think Andrew Nemhard was even more efficient at knocking down those shots than Kyle Lofton is. So um yeah, I guess it's 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 one of those things we can look at his individual struggles and just say like, hey, do we think this this offense is is the best for him? Um, there were times when they ran, you know, have to run Spain pick and roll for him that has allowed him to get that that edge going to the rim and then finishing with his length, which makes up a little bit for his athleticism. Um, that that's that works, but uh, yeah, I just I just see that uh, that Oklahoma game where it just seemed like uh, Oklahoma was not threatened at all when it was an empty side ball screen for for Kyle Lofton. They had a great plan of of guarding it, and uh, we didn't have the opportunity to podcast before the Oklahoma game, but, um, it's actually funny, you know, I've, I've kind of expressed a little bit of my, uh, concern with the continuity ball screen offense and, and just someone who I would say, I'm not a huge fan of the continuity ball screen offense, you know, in a vacuum. However, my favorite coach, uh, Porter Moser, uh, he's actually ran some continuity ball screen. They didn't use it at all against the Gators because the Gators have actually been, you know, a really good pick and roll defensive team this year, um, which they deserve credit for. And once again, we're really good at that against Oklahoma, but they run it themselves. So I think they were just very, very prepared to, to guard it. And uh, of course, the the people that are going to 
most uh, look not very good when it doesn't work are, are your point guards, Kyle Lofton and, and Trey Bonham, who are getting the first two ball screens um, in that uh, in that offense, in that rotation. Um, we talked about Kyle Lofton and, uh, you know, it wasn't the it wasn't the greatest game for, for Trey Bonham either, though. I thought he was a little bit more effective. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what I was seeing. Yeah, 11 points for Oklahoma in transition, which is not a lot. Uh, Florida's transition defense, I think, is improving um, dramatically, and it's part of why that's a great Eric Fawcett point. It won't be this bad all season. Well, it certainly hasn't been. Um, you know, Oklahoma, I think, um, is a team that's very comfortable in their half-court stuff anyway <laughs> because they run really good offense. Um, but Porter Moser – ranted and raved about Florida's defense um, in the post game. It just said, look, we played a really good defensive team and they made life very hard on us for much of the basketball game. Um, you know, and I think before, cause you know, we can get in these like negative spirals and just go downhill uh, from there. So we should point out like, I, you know, I agree with that. I mean, anytime you can hold Jacob Groves to two of 10, um, which by the way, a lot of that was Kowasi Reeves and Will Richard. And shout out to both those guys because especially like, well, no, you know what? I'm not going to say it especially. Shout out to both those guys. Uh, one, for Will Richard showing that against a pretty darn good power six player, he can be a really effective defender while playing high, lo uh, high log while logging a lot of minutes. And then, you know, I don't think a year ago in Norman, Wasey Reeves would have been able to play um, a lot of defense against Jacob Groves, Eric. Yeah, no, it put them in, uh, in some different situations. And, and again, for the Gators who have, uh, uh, got, gone between, okay, do we want to play, you know, CJ Felder who was not in this game, um, or like, you know, and, and Alex Fudge, and then you're playing a team like Oklahoma, who's going to go big and, and, and play a decent number of minutes with, with Tanner Groves and, and, and Jacob Groves, um, yeah, it was it was some interesting matchups for sure, and there's definitely those those times where where those wings got got in those switches and and, and handled it pretty well. And um, I do think that's that's one thing that's well, there's a couple of things that that I still think are a po positives for this basketball team that we'll get to kind of throughout the podcast. But um, yeah, seeing seeing the defense um, getting better, I think that that's one thing where. Um, of course, when we saw what what Todd Golden was was kind of known for, how he talks about himself as a defensive guy, and then to see the athletes that the, the Gators have, this was a game where it was nice to see that their athleticism was noticeable. Like that's one thing about Oklahoma is they are not athletic, and I almost see like there's still part of me that wonders. As much as I love Porter Moser, I almost feel like he's challenging himself to see how bad he can make his team talent wise and and still win. Like, <laughs> like I mean with all due respect, like, Hey, we saw Grant Sherfield is excellent. Of course the Groves brothers have been really good, but like he has not gotten it done from a recruiting standpoint, whether high school or transfer right. portal. Yeah. And, um, it's just, it was, it was, it was good to see the Gators overwhelm them with athleticism at times. Of course, nope. uh, you know, Oklahoma still gets the win. So how much can we, how much can we get, you know, get the positive of Florida overwhelm someone, but there were certainly possessions, several of them defensively, where the Gators swallowed them up with their length and athleticism. And that was, uh, that was nice to see. Yeah, no, and it really was. And I mean, they have done the job. Oklahoma has done a, a marvelous job defensively against guards that either, you know, aren't terribly athletic or are undersized, right? Like Tyrese Hunter really struggled um, against them the other night. And there aren't many guards in the country that, are better at orchestrating and generating good looks than Tyrese Hunter and Texas had a tough time, man. 
Um, but they also had like Dylan DeSue just go nuts. And so they survived by a point, um, you know, but that's, that's a great point. And, and that was one of the things I kept getting pushback on. I think a lot of sec and I don't blame like fans naivete for this, Eric, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm getting soft in my old age, who knows? <laughs> um, but I think a lot of our listeners and a lot of Florida basketball fans watch a lot of sec basketball, right? So they don't see, a ton of teams that look like Oklahoma. So when they see a team that looks like Oklahoma that runs really good stuff, but isn't terribly athletic, they immediately think Florida should beat that team. That team is not good. And like, I think Oklahoma is safely going to be an NCAA tournament team. Like whether they're a team that's going to win a first round game or, or lose in the second round or even make the sweet 16, which I think is probably where their ceiling would be. Um, I think it's going to depend like most people's NCAA tournament fates on matchups. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to be Oklahoma and like draw somebody that's freakishly athletic in the first round. Um, but I don't think it was a bad loss. Then again, I mean, your point about seeing Florida overwhelm them with athleticism a little bit. Uh, I thought Florida could have done two things to win the game. One obviously was hit threes. <laughs> two was Florida did have some transition opportunities, Eric. And, you know, Oklahoma, despite their lack of athleticism, really hurt Florida by getting back in transition defense and preventing Florida from getting easy buckets. And I think the Gators are going to need those, man, because um, they're just, it's a slog for them in the half court. And that's why I kind of viewed this as a missed opportunity, right? You play a really good half. Um, and even though you go two for 22 from deep, like you have a chance to win at the under four. You run maybe your best possession with three something minutes to go and Will Richard misses, but you know, maybe you don't need any of that. If you can finish some of your fast breaks and, and things like that. I would say like whenever you've got a team that is struggling to score in the half court, which Florida is uh, the first kind of thing to look at is like, Hey, can you score before these defenses can get set up? And when you look at how many really good defensive teams there are on the SEC in the half court, it's like, yeah, if you can, take a take a shot in transition that is always going to be more efficient than a shot against the set defense I, I feel like they need to do that and and especially with the situation of having multiple ball handlers on the floor if they're going to continue to start bottom next to lofton um richard can handle a little bit you know quasi reefs can handle it a little bit uh the the ball handling is a little bit better than what we've seen in florida on the wings uh for the last couple of years which is excellent but now you'd like to see uh you'd like to see con and be able to get a rebound outlet to call or to Kyle Lofton pushing it who can pass it across half court to one of these wings who can hopefully get going downhill. Cause it's just one of those things where um, while I would love to say that, I think that the half court offense is going to get better tomorrow. I, I don't really know if I, what, what why I would believe that. Well, well, Hey, we'll see, we'll see against Texas A&M. We'll see if there's tweaks, but I don't know if we've seen a whole bunch of noticeable tweaks in the last couple of weeks. So the half court offense might be just what it is. And, and, um, if that's the case, I think you might have to say, Hey, can we get on the, uh, can we get on the offensive glass, which is another thing, another area where like, Hey, you'd probably like to see the Gators get on the offensive glass a little bit more against a team like Oklahoma, who has good defensive rebounders in size, but not a lot of athleticism. Um, it's like, Hey, can, can the Gators get ugly a little bit, get those second chance opportunities on the offensive glass and then get a couple free ones in, in transition. That's just uh, the things you got to look at when you've got athleticism and you're struggling in the half court. Yeah, all excellent points. Um, from an X and O standpoint, I wanted to dive into Myron Jones a little bit because he topped out Florida's plus minus in this game. 
And I swear, like, I'm going back and watching these games. Um, I mean, I watched this one after being at it, and I just don't get it. I don't understand. You know, it was still hard for me to fathom how he was plus four in 10 minutes or whatever. Um, you know, two of the Grant Sherfield triples that were just devastating were with Myron allegedly defending him. Um, and then, uh, you know, both of Myron's shots were terrible. We had a floater and um, a step back behind the back dribble three with 12 seconds left on the shot clock that, you know, it's a good thing I'm not Todd Golden because I would have lost my damn mind um, as the head coach if one of my players did that. Uh, hey, and to Todd's credit, that was it for Myron for a few minutes. Um, you know, he, he sat him immediately. But I think that was one of my few tweets during the game, too. It was like, well, I'm glad that Myron thought it was a good time to take a a step back behind the back dribble off balance three. Um, but, I mean, he must be doing something, playing defense, I guess, or just getting in rotations that, that warrant his minutes. And I say this because the Auburn – discussion that will color the second half of the show will see me change my tone about Byron at least for once on this podcast but uh, man I felt like Charlotte was rough Eric yeah I would I would say so to see that Porter Moser has once again kind of taken the lunch money of the Gators with well well again like I will say like the Gators have now played Porter Moser three times in the last couple of years with Loyola Chicago and then with Oklahoma and now with Oklahoma again <laughs> I would say three three games where the Gators have significantly more talent than the Oklahoma or than the Porter Moser team, and three convincing wins for Porter Moser, and you know that's just is is disappointing, and and that's a number of things leading to that because this is multiple coaching staffs over multiple years, but uh, yeah, Porter Moser is absolutely excellent. Um, that is maybe just the moral of the story, but the Gators will have to contend with him a lot more when uh, Oklahoma joined the the SEC. Um, going to Myron Jones, um, which could be the transition into into Auburn, if if you want to take it. I mean, because I I could I could derail the conversation very quickly, which I don't really want to do, but partially want to do. But um, I of course finally did my lineup data article at Gator Country, breaking down all the different lineup numbers. And I think a lot of people, including myself, were surprised to see Myron Jones has some pretty positive lineup data numbers for his on-off splits. A couple of lineups that have been Florida's best have consisted of Myron Jones. And I didn't totally look into this because I didn't think it was necessary of a super deep dive. And maybe it will be as the season goes on. But uh, on one hand, he's when he's off in the first sub, he's gets to be out there with primarily starters and um, if you're a bench player that gets to go on with primarily starters, sometimes against other teams' benches, that can also that can be a good way to get your plus minus up. And uh, he also has gotten a lot of minutes at with uh, at I'll say the two guard next to Trey Bottom at at the point guard. And one thing, if you want to read my article, you will see that a lot of Florida's best lineups have Trey Bonham as the primary point guard um, on the on the floor. So. It's uh, that is, you know, I'm connecting a couple different uh, ideas there, but uh, one of the things I, I do think that the situation, which, Hey, in fairness, Myron Jones is a player that we don't think has played very well this season um, or last season really. And the Gators have found a way to make him effective by getting him some soft situations, playing with primarily starters and having him next to Trey Bonham and Trey Bonham minutes as the primary point guard have gone really, really well. So uh, those are my kind of 
two thoughts. I've kind of brought Trey Bonham in as the, the primary point guard lineups being awesome into the, the conversation. You can address that or, or not, or you can slide into uh, Auburn where, or sorry. Yeah. Auburn where, uh, uh, you know, Myron Jones was uh, uh, one of the Gators leading scorers. Yeah. I thought he was one of the Gators leading scorers and um, played at least in the first half in particular played really good defense. Um, now, and I, and I, I would just say really good defense period, not like really good defense for mm. Myron Jones. Um, I don't think he was as good in the second half. Uh, but you know, we can get into that and I'm sure we will. Uh, I thought that that was probably, and I, and I tweeted that I thought it was his best game his best half as a Gator in the first half. And I will defend that. I know he had a couple last year where he rainbowed a bunch of threes and, you know, kind of went nuts. But, you know, when I went back to look at his splits in those games, it was kind of like, you know, he made a lot of threes and then he was playing defense against SEC teams and didn't look that good on the other end. So it's a good thing he was making shots. Uh, this was different. This was contributing without really scoring a ton um, and then getting to the free throw line and, you know, finally it seems like this team is shooting free throws really well, which good for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought he played a very positive first half and, and was honestly one of Florida's uh, better players. So, you know, I kind of, it was interesting. I, I felt like this was a game where I could see why he was playing. Um, you know, he started well, which has always been my litmus test, right, Eric? It's like, Look, if Myron starts and plays, you know, if his first few minutes are good, okay. But if his first few minutes aren't good on either end, like that's enough. Like we don't need to see a bunch of Myron Jones. Um, we do need to see a bunch of Trey Bottom maybe as the primary point guard. But also maybe interestingly in this game, I thought Kyle Lofton played really well. And you know what? He played really well against mid-major guards that Bruce Pearl has bought in, brought in at Auburn. <laughs> And he was totally under control. And we might have seen the one real selling point for Kyle Lofton moving forward because um, I don't think the offense is going to get any better. There's really no objective criteria where I could push back against the arguments that it's not good. Um, but he does seem to be able to handle environments because that environment was better than I thought it was going to be for a game during Christmas break. <laughs> And uh, Kyle did not seem bothered at all. Yeah, so we have, of course, been fairly critical of Kyle Lofton um, so far this season and on this podcast. But yes, the one thing we definitely need to point out is a major positive and that the coaching staff will continue to point out is like his leadership. And that experience of playing a million minutes in the A-10 where they have some pretty rough road environments, um, that appears to be uh, definitely a strength for him as he comes into situations like against Auburn. So um, yeah, the physical limitations, the shooting limitations, they're going to be there. But um, yeah, his ability to handle a tough atmosphere it's like okay that's where you're very very veteran point guard like that's where that is going to be a strength so uh that was good to see for sure and and i think that quite frankly he'll probably need some of that veteran savvy um be when he's giving up athleticism and and doesn't shoot the ball super well so um good to see him have a little bit of a positive uh a positive game i mean of, of course if i s still wanted to give a bit of a caveat i mean you know he was able to get score a couple, you know, get a couple of efficient points for himself. Offense still didn't operate super great with him on the floor. And I thought the ball stuck in his hands a little bit too much. 
So I, I'm not trying to just push back on after you said, Oh, he had a really good first half. He had a good game. Um, but, but, but still it was one of those times where like, Hey, this is another game where the Gators have struggled. That is not, that's absolutely not all in the hands of, of Kyle Lofton. That is for sure. But uh, there's times where, yeah, thought the ball got, got stuck a little bit, which is also, you know, credit to the way Auburn plays, plays defense. But uh, yeah, two leading scores are, are Myron Jones and then uh, Kwesi Reeves, who had an excellent game off the bench. Florida starters, largely frustrated. They were. Um, and so one thing that was interesting about that was Florida had a good scout, I thought, offensively. Um, I don't think that should surprise anyone considering – that Todd Golden was a part of Bruce Pearl's staff. Um, and so Florida had some knowledge of, of what they want to do defensively at Auburn. Um, and the two things that Florida was really able to exploit. Um, well, I guess the thing that Florida was really able to exploit was, you know, handling Auburn's on ball pressure. Um, and they did it with nice ball reversals. I thought a lot of the game, um, especially in the first half, I thought Florida's ball movement was very good. Um, and I know people probably are listening to this and going, what the hell is Neil talking about? And, um, watch the tape, <laughs> you know, it was Florida didn't make anything, Eric, but these were different misses than the Oklahoma game. They really were. <laughs> I mean, Trey bottom wide open threes. Um, one, he hit the backboard. He was so open. I don't know if he just hadn't been that open in a few weeks. Like, I haven't seen Trey miss a shot that bad. Will Richard, again, like, you know, guy that I think is 40% capable, quite honestly, with his form and the way we saw him shoot it some early in the year. Wide open, two of them, just no bucket. Uh, but what was cool was seeing Kowasi and Alex Fudge also attack on-ball pressure, when it came in the form of help or when it came in the form of a switch and Auburn isn't going to change what they want to do fundamentally, Eric, like they don't care as much about matchup. Like they're going to get out and pressure you. And it was good to see Kowasi Reeves and Alex Fudge say, Oh, you're going to pressure me with a guy that I have five inches on. I will now blow by him and attack the basket. Uh, and so Florida was able to get some easy points in this game um, that way on offense, which was good to see. Yeah, I mean, a, a really positive takeaway for sure is Kowasi Reeves um, having a really good game off the bench where, like, man, he was started the season as a starter, um, played all right, had had one bad half and then got benched in some pretty high profile games because of it. We don't have to talk anything more about that. But, you know, to go from that to like now he's coming off the bench, like it would have been very easy for him to sulk and and not give it his all. And, and, and right now it's like, hey, he's. I don't want to say embrace the role. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I People always say that like a player starts playing well off the bench. People say embrace the role. I, I think he'd love to be starting as most players would be. He'd love to be on the floor at the end of games where um, he has sometimes and not always, but yeah. um, to see him score efficiently without hitting his three point shot. Like if you just said Kway serious has 15 points, I would probably would have been like, Oh, he was probably three for five from the three point line or three for six from the three point line. And you know, couple couple points somewhere else but to see him go like six for nine from from two point range not even have his threes really fall um while you'd obviously love to see him hit threes i think we kind of know he can hit threes uh so to see him score in other ways um attacking downhill and using that length and athleticism i thought that was a pretty big positive um and uh i i'm going to kind of go back to uh well I'll, I'll i'll talk specifically about will richard but also gonna fan it out to the entire basketball team like 
and I know I, I will often kind of ingest talk about things that I see on the Gator Country forums. And there's definitely crossover with some people who are on Gator Country on the forums and listen to this podcast. I will often kind of laugh at some of the stuff I see on the forums and just know that if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not the people I'm laughing at. But, you know, there was the post on the Gator Country forums that are like, wow, once again, the Gators are the worst three-point shooting team in the country. Why can't we find <laughs> shooters? Why do we suck? And it's one of those things where it's like the Gators just had two very, very bad three-point shooting nights, and they're 141st in the country in three-point percentage. Big, big asterisk, the Gators have not shot that many threes, so I would argue that, you know, while they're 141st in, in percentage, I would not call them 141st in, like, the 141st best three-point sh- three shooting team because, they're, because their attempts are so low. That probably tells you something about the three-point shooting. But again, it's like the Gators just had two horrendous shooting nights and they're still not awful from a percentage standpoint. So that was kind of my response to some of the people who were, you know, oh, the Gators are the worst shooting team in the world. Um, they still have been okay. They just had two pretty loud, poor performances. Um, so I guess my, my one question is, what do you think about this team shooting? Like, do you think this is always going to be a concern? Do you think they had just a couple rough game, rough games? And I, and I think just maybe one of the perfect examples is Will Richard, who was on this really cold spell after being really hot to start the season. And it's, I don't even know how to feel myself because I'll, I'll just say this and then I'll finally pass it off to you. But if people will remember, I said, Hey, let's, you know, let's remember this guy shot 32% from three at Belmont. Like this was not a tremendous shooter. And then of course that was something I said to like people like Malik Grady, who were higher on, on Will Richard than I was. And I'd still say he was closer to right than I was, but you know, I was one of the things I always said was like, Hey, just like, just so you know, this was a guy who was not a great catch and shoot player was not a great shooter. And uh, yeah, I'm just wondering where you think Will Richard is between the guy that, you know, I did, I forget where you fell. I, I would assume you would have some, some concern with a 32% shooter at, at Belmont. Um, you know, where, where is he between the guy who's had four rough shooting games in a row and the guy that was, you know, absolutely on fire to start the season. Yeah. I thought this was probably his worst game at Florida. And I, but again, I, you know, maybe it's the defensive coordinator in me that felt like this was one of the rare times where he seemed sort of overwhelmed from an athletic standpoint and some of the situations he was put into um, the shooting yeah, I mean, I remember I wrote down 35% and kind of thought mm. that's that's what he could shoot. Um, so I don't know where he is in relation to that because I don't have it in front of me. But like I think 41 or 42% after this, which, okay, which, so, is, which is crazy after four games of uh, not hitting a three. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's going to revert to kind of that area. And if that's happening right now, then, you know, I'm not that surprised. It's the quality of the looks. I mean, again you know, if you look at the shot quality numbers between this game and the Oklahoma game, like Florida's shot quality was so much better against Auburn. And I think that's a testament to, to, you know, Kyle Lofton's ability to move the ball, Byron Jones a little bit as a secondary ball handler. And again, I thought Trey Bonham did what he did at VCU a lot in the Auburn game, which was like, he took good shots, um, but deferred when he didn't have good shots. He just happened to miss good shots. Uh, against Auburn, Eric, at least two of his threes I thought were spectacular looks um, that he should have made. He did have one in the second half where he kind of like took a step back logo jumper. And, you know, I don't think we really want Trey doing that, especially when he's not feeling himself. But um, anyway, th- that's kind of my view on it. Like I, I thought this team would have some issues shooting the ball, period. Um, and 
you know, certainly the last two games they have, they're five of 41 from three in the last two games. And honestly, if they hit even a reasonable, reasonably close to their season percentage, they win both um, probably. So, you know, that's unfortunate to me. The, the, the moral of the Auburn story is that like, this was a super unfortunate loss just because I thought Florida played pretty well uh, on offense in terms of how they ran their stuff and missed those shots. Um, whereas against Oklahoma, it's very easy to say out loud if they hit more shots, they win, but they weren't taking very good shots. And I do think there was a, and the numbers back me up on this, at least from a shot quality standpoint, if you like that website, the Florida's looks were better against Auburn. They just didn't make them. Um, and I think that's kind of unfortunate, Eric, because once again, Florida defended well enough to win. Well, my moral of the story is very different. Um, or not very different. It is different. And I'm going to start talking about it and you're going to know exactly, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. And then I want you to start talking about it. Um, the Gators needed a score right at the end of the game. They gave the ball to Colin Castleton pretty far from the hoop and it did not yield a good shot. Um, what, 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 what do you think that my moral of the story is, is Neil, what do you, where do you think I'm, I'm thinking about? Well, I think you've got to be thinking, Maybe we don't need to be going to Colin Castleton uh, at the end of a game. And we certainly don't need to be going to Colin Castleton that far away from the basket. Well, I will say, so So my, my moral of the story that you pretty much nailed is the Gators, once again, I shouldn't say once again, one of the issues that we had going into the season was we didn't think they had a go-to score who could go get a shot at the end of the game. And I think to see when the Gators needed a bucket, they went to their best player but their best player isn't someone who is that you can give the ball to, to create a play, whether with a ball screen or, or an isolation. And of course, you know, we know how that possession went. Uh, if I could just, you know, make a, make an analogy or, or, or make a comparison that's pretty ham fisted. I mean, let's go back to the world cup a couple of weeks ago where, you know, my Canadians who are ultimately terrible have a chance to go up on Belgium and have a penalty. And they don't put their player who is best at taking penalties on the spot. They put Alfonso Davy, their best player, even though he hasn't been good at penalties. He doesn't score. And, you know, Canada goes on to lose that game. That really could have yeah. shifted their World Cup hopes. And it was one of those things where some people were saying, oh, you've got to put it, you've got to put the ball at the feet of your best player, where my mind is you've got to put the ball in the on the foot of the person who's best in that situation. And I like make no mistake about it. Colin Castleton is the best player on the Gators by, in my opinion, a fairly large margin. Um, he's also the best offensive player, but at the end of a game like this, or really any game, like you need someone who can go get their own on the perimeter. And I just, I didn't love the play call. And that's a situation where like, I'm looking for a Trey Bonham or I'm looking for a Kwesi Reeves. Like you need the ball in, in the hands of someone who, who can create. And uh, again, it's, it's, it, and that's one thing that like, I'm honestly not, I, I'm not just saying this to, to criticize the, the play call. I, I, it is like, if we are looking for an issue with this team, it's one that we identified in the summer. And that's that they don't have someone who can go get a shot on their own on the perimeter. So I think this is the first game where we really saw the Gators lost. I mean, you could say the Gators lost this in a number of ways. The shooting would be totally fair to say, but I kind of look at it as this is a game the Gators lost because they didn't have the best one-on-one -on -one score in a situation where they needed someone who could go go get something one-on-one. -on -one. And um, it would be interesting to see, like, like again, I like I said, like, 
I, I would have been fine putting the ball in Trey Bonham's hands in that situation or Kwesi Reeves' hands. And if the, if they turned the ball over or missed a shot, there'd be a lot of people, you know, some people would be saying, hey, like, why is the why'd they not get it to Colin Castleton? But I think that a lot of us people who, you know, understand the game could say like, hey, like you, you need to put the ball in the hands of someone who can make a play and go get one. And, uh, you know, I think the Gators put the ball in the hands of someone who is not really built in his skill set to go get one. And the Gators didn't have a very successful possession. What do, what do you think? Do you like to put the ball into Colin Castleman's hands because he's your best guy? Or what, what are your thoughts? Well, I don't have a problem with it, honestly. And I tweeted this, and I think didn't tweet the wording of it very well. All I meant was I don't conceptually have a problem with getting your best player of the ball at the end of a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I think I tweeted no with the play, and that was not the right tweet. And so I felt bad about it. But I don't, I don't delete stuff that I – I uh, tweet up from the account. I let it up there and and took the beating I deserved um, in our mentions. And, and, you know, I think it was, you know, no, I don't want him. And I think I was one of the ones on the show. I think it was me, you know, before you were Malik on the show that said, I'm not nuts about all the possessions Colin gets start at the elbow. Like, you know, I, I've been critical of him handling the ball after rebounds for too long. There's little things that he's doing that, that kind of, I don't think he's well suited to do, even though I do think he's Florida's best player. And yeah, I mean, um, I agreed with Pat Young's tweet. Like if you're going to go to Castleton, then clear out the floor and make sure you get him the ball on the block. And then if they help, you can pass to a shooter. I mean, that's what I would have preferred to do. But once you have Colin put the ball on the floor as much as he did, you risk not even getting a shot up. And the most surefire way to lose a game um, (laughs) on a last possession is to not get a shot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's well said. And I just, uh, I, again, it was, it was, it was just a, something that I was definitely thinking about. I know I talked about and wrote about before the season that, uh, and, and this was a little bit of an issue the last several years of Florida basketball, long before this current coaching staff, um, not having kind of one of those guys who can go one-on-one and, and, uh, I, I, I just think that that's going to be something that, that teams need to really think about building a roster, um, is, is the way that the game of basketball is kind of played differently, in the last minute or two minutes of, uh, of the game. And um, as, as, ma- as much as there's a lot of teams that have really dominant big men, and we're seeing this across college basketball, those are not the guys you can really go to as much in, in the final minute or so. So um, if they are going to go to Castleton, it's, it's, yeah, I think you'd like, like something a little bit different, but um, again, again, this is where I'm looking at like some of the, I'll call them shot makers. And I think the two best shot makers are, are, are Trey Bonham and, and Kwesi Reeves. And uh, maybe you've just got to got to think about you know those guys being in the situation who, well, if, if things break down, are going to be a little bit more comfortable dribbling the basketball, and if they have to rise up and shoot something that's outside of the paint, going to be a little bit more comfortable with it than than Colin Castleton. But uh, hey, I'm sure we will uh, see plenty more close game situations um, in the SEC. Um, this season. And uh, so we'll, we'll see how the Gators handle these situations, especially kind of seeing, you know, this was their first chance. Um, you know, if you want to talk analytics, these, these close games like that turn into a, almost a coin flip at times. You want to, of course, weigh that coin flip a little bit in your favor with uh, having the the talent who can score one-on-one. But uh, yeah, it's not like we want to draw too much of a conclusion from one game, but it was a concern I had in the off season. And um, I think just the last thing I would say on the Auburn game um, before you go into anything you want to, to, to finish up the Auburn game is like the Gators played well. And while I don't want to 
always just say like, well, let's look at Ken Palm and whatever Ken Palm says is the only analysis, but like the Gators lost the game and they rose in Ken Palm. And I kind of feel that's <laughs> exactly how I felt about the game. Like, yes, they lost, didn't love the last possession, but they played well enough that it was like, you know, they went from 50th to 48th, I think in Ken Palm. And it's like that. Yeah. They, they played a good defensive team, a good basketball team in Auburn played them really close on the road um they deserve some credit and that credit i think was uh kind of perfectly encapsulated with a slight ken palm um jump uh despite the loss yeah they got a net bounce too um i think three spots <laughs> so uh good points there there are two other things that i wanted to address and one um i wanted to get in and maybe this is like something we would normally get into in like a high level conversation about you know, what the roster looks like in the off season, but because the game ended the way it did, I think now is a reasonable time to just bring up the non-usage of Riley Kugel on the road. Um, because when you looked at Arkansas's elite eight team from a couple years ago, that kind of, not kind of, they started very slow. They didn't have a quality win really until mid January. Um, and a lot of that was kind of waiting for uh, Moses Moody to kind of, get good. Uh, and I thought one thing that must did to his credit was play Moody constantly uh, and just deal with some of the, you know, learning curve, I guess. And I thought your lineup data article was super interesting and in that the point that Eric made for listeners that haven't read it, I want you to go read it. So I'm not going to spill the beans on the whole article. Please go read it. But a lot of Florida's backcourt combinations have worked. They've been effective. Um, that's what the data says. And that includes Riley Kugel. So to me, that is at least some level of empirical evidence that playing Riley Kugel is not like a deficit creator uh, for Florida. That leads me to my final point. And I'm trying to articulate this as lawyerly and as well as I can uh, with brevity. But Kugel's at 4.0 on foul strong per 40. That's third on the team by some distance for perspective from some of the people that are like, get Alex Fudge the ball. He's our most NBA ready player. He's 1.3 more than Fudge. Granted, Google's minutes are less, but like he's still better at driving and generating contact. He's also a better passer than Fudge at this point, um, at least based on assist numbers, Eric. I would throw him in if he were playing more. And I would hope by March, like you could say, we want Bonham Reeves or Riley Kugel to have the ball at the end of a game mm. in a situation like that. And you just ignore that Riley Kugel is 18 years old. And you say, what can he do on a basketball court in a 30 second situation where we need points? Yeah, I think Kugel has, has, has shown he can be an, an effective player. And we're also seeing that the Gators are still, uh, yeah, figuring out their rotations and and, and figuring out um, who they want to play. And and I think that, uh, I think we'll see Kugel out there, uh, maybe back to it to a regular shift here, here shortly. Um, and I, I think that especially as the Gators lean more into the defensive side of the basketball as, as the identity, um, while Kugel's defense has not been great because you know very few freshmen's defense is great. He's he's got the length and and athleticism. So um, 
yeah, I would see this one as, as, as maybe, yeah, well, I guess, I guess we'll find out, but um, maybe a little bit of a one-off and if he can earn that, that, that trust back in, in, in practice, I think that we've shown that the Gators have like want to play him. They've, they've shown that they put him out there before some of the other wings that we thought should, uh, should be playing more. And, and there's even times he got on the floor before Myron Jones. So um, yeah, I think they've shown they, they want to play him. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd expect to, to see him against uh, Texas A&M, but we'll, uh, yeah, we'll find out. And then the, the other point I wanted to make was the quote that got the most attention, uh, at least in my message board universe, um, the various message boards that I look at. Uh, and Eric probably already knows where I'm going with this. And then certainly on the Twitter sphere. Um, so I'm going to do my best to defend Todd Golden a little bit. Uh, 13 games into his tenure. Uh, and the quote was year one, we knew we were going to be more process oriented than results oriented. And I mean, my man just got murdered for this on message boards. I guess they were saying, oh, he must be saying it's okay to be seven and six, or we knew we were going to lose at Auburn or, you know, as if saying like, we thought we'd lose at a place where they've won like 26 straight games is bad, <laughs> but like, um, I, you know, to Eric's point earlier, like, I think what he meant by that isn't that Florida thinks they're going to lose games or accepts losing by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't think that's what that means. I, I think what he means is like, we want to get better. That's what process oriented means for me. Like we want to follow our process better. And we believe that that will make us a better team. And ultimately, you know, that will change our results. And I thought, you know, Florida played better against Auburn. They seemed to take, you know, the holiday break and come back refreshed and ready to go. This is the week now with the game coming up, and we'll get to that soon, Eric, where you'd really like to see improvement because now not a, they haven't had Christmas where they get to go home. They've had practice. Uh, but I think that's what he meant. Did you have any issue with, with that particular quote? Like my, my only like issue with it was like, it is one of those things that coaches say where like my immediate reaction is to roll my eyes because there yes. are coaches that, yes. that say it disingenuously not to. So I will say that when I first heard it, my eyes rolled a little bit just because it's just one of those things coaches say that is that like some coaches that ha coaches have used it as like an excuse after, you know, things it's uh no one ever wins 10 games in a row and says like hey we're actually you know we're we're we're, we're processed first it's it's always after you lose <laughs> games and i think you have seen coaches use it as a little bit of a defense mechanism so i mean like correct me if i'm i'm wrong but i think that like golden kind of like talked earlier in the offseason about how he's like we think we can be a tournament team and like yeah um, and and colin castleton was like very open about like we are going to make the ncaa tournament i think he may have like guaranteed it um so it, he did. it's one of those things where if at the end of the year say the gators don't make the tournament and everyone starts being like oh this was always going to be a re rebuild retooling you know whatever then i would at that point then i would say okay i have a problem with that but i took it more as like a not that you know at the time that golden made the comment not that he knew what would happen in ken palm but it's like 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 we said they lost the game, but we thought they played well. And you even saw in their computer numbers, it showed that they, if you want to say that as use that as a metric of they are playing better basketball, 
which is, I would say, mostly fair to do, that even in the loss, they played better basketball. So I think it's fair to say, like, hey, our process was good, and we think that showing that we played better basketball will ultimately result in more wins. So um, that was my kind of – I there was a, I will say, I will be honest to the lovely listeners of the podcast, yes, I rolled my eyes just slightly at first, but then a split second later, I thought, like, hey, they played good basketball, and that's what you want to see more than – you know, if the Gators, we, we've seen this in recent years where the Gators were playing bad and then they somehow found a way to get a win where we didn't think they played very good basketball. And, you know, some fans were like, oh, that's awesome. Look, we're back in the win column. But it was kind of fool's gold because we knew that they weren't as good as some of the wins they got. Um, yes, you would have loved to have seen a game, uh, them beat Auburn, but it, it was at least encouraging to see them play good basketball against a good basketball team. So I kind of just took it as like, a, hey, we wanted the win, but we are proud that we played better and we think it's going to result in wins really quickly so yeah we can we can revisit that one but no i was not uh, flocking to the message boards or twitter to uh to get upset that was that is not my read for sure yeah and and i think in fairness to you know i don't normally have to defend the intellectual honesty of my comments on my own podcast but i will say like i mean i feel like i laid out pretty consistently that you know, I appreciated what he was trying to say uh, while also still I'm going to hold Todd accountable to the stuff that they said about being good. And, you know, I mean, the reality is Todd's here because Mike left because the ceiling under Mike wasn't good enough. Right. Like Mike got tired of the heat from fans about it. And, you know, it was kind of a mutual parting of ways, even though White didn't wasn't forced out or anything as far as I know. Um, and I don't think this was a rebuild, man. Like, so yeah, I mean, it's disappointing that Florida's seven and six. Um, I will point out, you know, in the interest of fairness, Florida is seven and six against the toughest schedule in the SEC, uh, per both Ken Palm strength, the schedule metric and the ELO metric, which I really like at Warren Nolan. Um, you know, I mean, which takes into account like opponent strength of record and, and whatnot. Um, so the, the biggest problem with that is that. Florida's 0 and 5 in top 50 games and 0 and 6 in top 100 games. Like, yeah, you it's cool that you've challenged yourself. Let me tell you how the selection committee is going to care about that when you never beat anyone. Um, so, you know, uh, Florida's supposed to be better than this. I think they've underachieved. I think they have more talent than their record. And I have defended that take against some pushback. Um, you know, and, and I think they should be better. I think they should have beaten FAU, who I think is ranked like 12th in the net now or something really, really ridiculous. But I think they should have won that game. Um, I think they should have probably won either the Oklahoma game or the Auburn game. Um, I'll say the Oklahoma game just because the first half went so well. I mean, I feel like Florida 9-4 and four would be very fair for Florida and kind of would have been my expectation. And instead – you know, they're seven and six headed into uh, 2023. Yeah, I'll de- definitely agree with that. And, and uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where like, yeah, if they, if things will get turned around, then we can start discussing some of the, uh, some of the, the, the comments like that. And, you know, you can point out even the fact too, where it's like, which is, this is one thing too, that I, I do like, even when, when Golden said that he was going to be a process, like, or they're going to, really care about the process it wasn't like he's never said anything like well this was a rebuilding year like he's never said that because that would be a pretty easy one to poke holes in just because of the way that um right they got they got their top transfer targets that they wanted so you know it's uh but again i I, i'm with you i think this is a team that um is 
has a lot of talent that is lost to some teams that are not as talented. And um, that's an issue right now, but uh, the season is uh, not even halfway through and there's, there's plenty of opportunities. Um, I do think that that's the perfect transition to uh, Texas A&M, which we're deep in the podcast now, so we don't have to get too deep in, but um, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, Texas A&M is a team that was picked right next to the Gators in uh, the SEC preseason poll. I, I would say that was a fair place to put them. They're bringing back a lot of guys from a team that, um, of course, went uh, got really hot at the end of last season, um, ended the Gator season, went on to play really well in the NIT, uh, and uh, they have not played very well this this season so far. So uh, it's a team that was picked to finish kind of in the realm of the Gators. So that makes it uh, uh, one of those games that could be a little bit of a measuring stick game. And then you add in that uh, while things have gone bad for the Gators, they've also gone probably even worse for, for Texas A&M. So um, we're certainly not into must-win territory or anything like that, but uh, – these are certainly the opponents that if the Gators are going to get the, the season back on the rails, uh, these are the ones that they've got to win. Yeah, they really do. Uh, home game against a team that has zero uh, top 100 wins, like the Gators, by the way. Somebody gets their first top 100 win. <laughs> uh, Wednesday night will be the Aggies, or will it be the Gators? But I do think, you know, if you just looked at the records, you'd say A&M was a little better, but you can't just look at the records. You have to factor in things like schedule and um, A&M is like 10th in the SEC in that metric. Florida, as I mentioned, is first. Uh, So certainly a little bit of a disparity uh, in that respect. Florida is 339th in the luck metric, which isn't like what you think, but we've explained it on podcasts before. No need to dive into that. The point is, Florida has been a little bit unlucky from a basketball standpoint. Uh, A&M has not really. Um, <laughs> they're kind of where they are, uh, Eric. Um, and, yeah, I mean, A&M had a couple, like, eyesore losses. Like, their loss to Wofford um, and the Terriers, that's a fine, like, low-major program. Don't get me wrong. They're in the NCAA tournament quite often and usually very fun. <laughs> um, but – uh, this is not like a vintage Wofford team and they went into Reed arena and beat them a couple weeks ago. Uh, so that is not like the FAU loss. These things are not the same people, um, you know, and by the way, Wofford, you know, trailed by quite a bit in that game. They were down 10 points at one point and uh, just ended up finishing the game on a 33 to 18 run to win and it wasn't like they were just making a bunch of shots either they only shot 32 percent from deep against AM. so this is what this AM team kind of has a little bit of last year's problem that buzz williams has not seemingly been able to get over in college station eric where they just aren't terribly consistent like you don't never you don't really know what you're going to get uh from the aggies because they've got a couple really good players florida fans will be familiar with tyrus radford the virginia tech transfer um who controversially played and played well against the Gators Mm. in the NCAA tournament. Um, And then, you know, Wade Taylor, the fourth, who I thought was uh, the Gators did a nice job on in the SEC tournament, but uh, he's a, he's a good scorer. Uh, So just, you know, they've got some guys, Uh, Henry Coleman, the third is also a a pretty solid player on the interior. Um, But yeah, I think it's a game Florida should win. Kind of the inverse of the Gators, where, of course, the Gators have struggled offensively or looking better defensively. Um, Texas A&M is 46th in Ken Palm in offense and 110th on defense, so they've been a lot better offensively. 
And I think when you kind of look at their roster, it, it, it makes a lot of, well, you know, it makes some sense. Like Wade Taylor has been tremendous. He's shooting like 39% from three on like six attempts per game. Um, so he's, he's averaging like 18 and four. So he's been excellent. And like Tyrese Radford, again, someone who has had a lot of success against the Gators, both at Virginia Tech and now Texas A&M. Um, or, or sorry, going back to Wade Taylor, Wade Taylor's like six feet tall and like 170 pounds. Tyrese Radford is like six foot two and like 200 pounds. And then you look at the front court and it's like Henry Coleman, who's like six, eight and 250 pounds. And they like, don't really have many wings. So it's this team that's got like these smaller speedy or muscular guards in Tyrese Radford's case. And then from in the front court, it's a bunch of like six foot six, six foot seven, six foot eight, like powerful kind of below the rim guys. So they don't have a lot of length. They don't have athleticism. So you can kind of understand their struggles a little bit from that standpoint. I mean, again, still you're an SEC team with veteran talent. You should be better than 110th defensively, but it's also like you look at, yeah, some of the just, you know, body types they roll out, usually not the guys that that are great defensively. So it'd be an interesting matchup between a team that struggles to guard and a team that struggles to score. Um, so that'll, that, I'm pretty interested in that matchup. Could see a lot of zone mixed in from, from Buzz Williams and the Gators have been good against zone. And uh, then the other thing that I think is definitely notable is that like Henry Coleman last year in the SEC tournament, where um, of course the, the, the Aggies functionally ended Florida season. Like, I really think Henry Coleman had like the best game of his career. Um, he was, he was really good against the Gators in that one. Definitely got the best of, of Colin Castleton. And um, I just like, it'll just be interesting to see that matchup again, because it was one of those situations where Coleman is not the like, long bouncy kind of big he is like lower to the ground muscular and he was able to just like carve out deep deep post position and and use his strong lower body to to get angles and position on castleton all night long um he's been a lot better this season than last season even but like again i think that uh he got the best of colin castleton in a game that really really mattered to the gators so uh that's a matchup that i'm definitely interested to see again yeah, 22 points for Henry Coleman in what was uh, easily his career high um, in that game. Uh, just a sensational performance against Florida. And Red, Colin coming off a game where he didn't really get the better of Johnny Broom. I'm not going to say that like Johnny Broom got the better of him. I, I kind of thought it was a bit of a a stalemate because Colin made some plays defensively that, that Broom didn't make. Broom did end up getting uh, – he may have – yeah, I think he got a block late in the game to extend his like – ridiculous block streak uh, that he has from Moorhead state. But um, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a stalemate, which surprised me a little. Cause you know, you would think that your preseason first team all sec guy would, would handle the Moorhead state transfer big. Uh, and he did not. So another chance for Colin, I think to, to kind of assert himself against a big that has given him some issues um, in the past. Uh, the other thing that I would circle kind of in this game is this is not a great rebounding Texas A&M team. Um, and Florida, you know, Wofford out-rebounded them 37-31, got 11 offensive rebounds against the Aggies. That's really where the game was won, was second-chance points. You know, Wofford had 20. Uh, <laughs> that's a lot. Um, you know, Florida just got abused at Auburn on the offensive glass, 17-5. to um, mm. Now, granted, I felt like 10 of the 17 might have been in the first four minutes when Auburn went up 7 nothing. But nonetheless, it was bad and lopsided. And, you know, there's another – it's always at the margins. You know, Eric and I have talked about the margins for five seasons. You know, maybe if you get out-rebounded on the offensive glass 10-5, to five, you don't lose. 
but it's 17 to five, right? So Florida has just got to do a better job of getting bodies on the glass. And to me, like, you know, it was good to see Alex Fudge the last couple games assert himself on the glass a little more. Um, and Kawasi Reeves has made huge strides in that, had six rebounds against Oklahoma, was an effective rebounder, willing rebounder against Auburn. Um, so I think those guys are are at least willing, um, but the Gators have to continue to to try to get on the glass, and they should be able to do that against an AM team that, that, like Eric said, is not particularly athletic. Yeah, and then just the one last number of, of importance, in my opinion, is um, that uh, the like Texas A&M is going to really pack the paint. Again, they don't have a lot of length and size, so they will really pack it in, whether in their zone or in man. So they give up a ton of threes. They're 342nd in the countries in three-point attempts um, against. So they're going to dare the Gators to shoot. And I think um, that's kind of how they play against anyone. And if they see how the Gators, well, which they will, how they have struggled to shoot the last two games, I am pretty sure the Gators are going to have a lot of threes go up in this game. And uh, while it's, uh, you know, it'd be simple to say like, well, if the shots go in, the Gators win. If they don't, they lose. Uh, if they have uh, a game that um, is below average shooting, um, unless they're really on the offensive glass, uh, they are, they're going to struggle in this one, but it'll be, an, it'll be interesting to see how these, these, these Gators shoot. Cause uh, they will have opportunities against Texas A&M. Yep. Got to make shots. Uh, you know, um, oh, continuing the guy to guard. It's been a little bit. I needed to get back to this. I'm just going Seki, uh, not because he's a particularly lethal offensive player. This is going to be kind of my interesting take because Wade Taylor would be the obvious one. So we'll just go like the guy to guard number two is going to be Manny Obaseki because they put him in a lot of different spots. Like Buzz really likes to to move him around. He he legitimately, you know, what's that announcer cliche? He can play one to four. And like a lot of those guys don't. Well, Manny Obaseki plays one to four. Like the lineup data supports that he plays one to four, which means they kind of move him around. And he's a really good passer. Um, he's not going to score a ton, but I thought one super interesting stat is that like in the Buzz William era, um, they are twenty eight and eight in games that Manny Obaseki starts or um, has ten points or has. Uh, four assists so you know um that's a lot of like stuff to put together but like usually if he's stuffing the stat sheet you can tell i did some work on this eric uh he's kind of a an interesting player that really helps them win yeah um, people who listen to the titus and tate podcast from years ago will will refer to that as a big 10 stat of the day because the big 10 used to always tweet stats with ridiculous caveats like that so at least like <laughs> at least at least like jake winderman will uh, appreciate that reference but uh no it, it is certainly uh, certainly interesting if you can uh, keep up with all those qualifiers but i think it does show at least to some extent um his uh his his impact he's had when when he's been on the floor so um yeah we'll we'll, we'll see uh coming off uh these these staffs getting to look at a lot of this lineup data now with a you know still small but more decent sample size to, to start seeing these decisions but um he'll be an interesting matchup that's uh that's for sure because the gators don't have those uh kind of jack of all trades guys in in the same way that that he plays well that is all uh home opener sec opener in the todd golden era i'm sure todd and the guys are going to be jacked um so we will be back after that guys uh trying to get round ourselves back into form in one way or another but uh thank you all for listening and uh happy new year um i'll let eric sign us off go gators and keep attacking closeouts <laughs>